Well, uh, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. If you're visiting, again, special welcome. And we don't follow the church calendar super closely, but we kind of hit the highlights, you know, Christmas and Easter. So we typically take four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and we focus on the Incarnation. And uh, that's not really a word you hear in the Bible, but it captures a bunch of what's in the Bible about God becoming a man, about God the Son taking on flesh and becoming a man. So to finish out these Advent Sundays, uh, we're going to look in the Gospel of John. This is the fourth book of the New Testament. It's the fourth Gospel. And if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can just follow there in the bulletin. I'm really going to zero in on one verse, but I want to read a little bit more than that for context. But we'll, uh, we'll start with John chapter 1, verse 5. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these websites or, or posts about misunderstood song lyrics. You ever seen these before? Or just like the real lyrics in songs versus what people think they are and they sing, they've been singing wrong all these years. Like one famous one is by Credence Clearwater Revival, Bad Moon Rising. And the, the actual lyric is, there's a bad moon on the rise. And apparently just hundreds of thousands of people, maybe a million people, have thought it's, there's a bathroom on the right. And that's not right. There's a bad moon on the rise. And, you know, example after example. Probably, I don't have any data on this, but probably the Christmas song that would have the most misunderstood lyrics like that would be Silent Night. And and a lot of that might be because you learn it early. You learn it when you're a little kid. A lot of you may have learned it when you're a little kid. But like one example would be the kid learns the, the words to it and they come home asking, who is John Virgin? And how did he get round? You know, he sounds like one of Robin Hood's merry men. You know, there's like Friar Tuck and round John Virgin and <laughs> instead of round yon Virgin. But, uh, but there's another lyric. It's actually on the front of the bulletin that you, you may have been singing incorrectly, singing the right words, but not knowing what the actual lyric was. There's this line that says, Son of God loves pure light. And just when you sing that without looking at the printed, you know, or the written lyric, it can sound like it's saying, here's what the Son of God does. He loves pure light, like He loves pure sunlight. But it's not saying what He does. It's saying who He is. The Son of God, comma, and here's another way of saying who He is. He is loves, that's with an apostrophe, L-O-V-E apostrophe S. He is loves pure light, that the Son of God is the pure light that emanates from God who is love. And you know, uh, quite a few people have pointed out, people a lot smarter than me have pointed out that it's amazing that God would put as much metaphor into the Bible as He does, because there's so much writing on the content. You know, there's so much writing on this truth that doesn't it need to be technical and just really button down and cross the T's and dot the I's? One writer put it this way. He said, you know, God could have written that way. He could have written it super technically, like almost written it mathematically. And this person said, but you know what? You can't say I love you with algebra. And God is saying I love you. And so he'll use metaphor. There's one that I want to look at this morning and it's, uh, you can guess, it's, it's light. Is the fact that not only is God light, but the way light is, light went out. And light came into our world. What does that mean? 
as we think about the incarnation. So let's look at John chapter 1. Again, we're going to start in verse 1, uh, excuse me, verse 5, and we'll read some other scriptures from John, but I want to focus on verse 9. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You that You are not an American and You are not any nationality. But You are God over all. And that all the nations are but a drop of water before You. But We thank You that You care about them all. And you're at work around the world. We thank you for new churches all over the world. Thank you for new churches that we get to partner with in India and Cambodia and Kenya and around the globe. Thank you for new churches in the U.S. Thank you for resurrection in Oakland. And we thank you so much for Brent and Katie and pray that you would use them in a strong way and in a beautiful way. Father, we... We're coming now and we ask you to to feed us from your hand. And we might be frazzled this morning. And we probably are. And we need you to make us lie down in green pastures. We need you to make us lie down beside waters of stillness. So we ask that you would, in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of... um, Maybe you saw a movie and just there was just a guy in the movie and you just thought he was so great. You just clicked with him. Or as an actress, you just thought she was so great. Or maybe you went to a concert and you just, maybe even a kind of a smaller venue, and you just locked in with the musician or somebody gave you a, a CD or something and you, you just connected with the singer. Have you ever had the experience where you, you, just, you just sort of fall in love with this person and then you see him in an interview, or you find out some news about him, and you just go, ugh, it ruined it. You know, like, they were beautiful. It kind of seemed like they were the person in the movie, or they were the person in the lyrics. And then you just see some horrible interview, and they're vulgar, or they're flippant, or you find out they're terrible people, or whatever. And I've actually had the experience where, when I enjoyed somebody's performance, or somebody's persona, I've actually told people in my life, if you find out any dirt on them, do not tell me. I want to operate under the illusion that they're actually like the movie or the song or whatever. Um, Let's change the metaphor from from dirt to darkness. That's the thing. Everybody has darkness. The scriptures are really clear about that. I mean, one of the reasons that we weekly confess our sins together, and it's a level playing field together, is because all of us have, have darkness. And, you know, you see that in different ways. That's one of the hard things about romance. You know, on the front end of romance, when you're in the infatuation phase, you, may, you know they're not perfect, but it just seems like they have hardly any darkness. But you can just only keep up appearances so long. And you really get to know each other, and pretty soon you see, you see it. 
and they see it in you. It's hard. Uh, it's that way in work. You know, you may have been in the position where you might have hired somebody for your workplace, for your business, and, and on the front end, it's just awesome resume, awesome interview. They're just so young and bright and fired up, and they're high energy, and they come in, and they're just full of good ideas, and it just seems like they're the, they're the bright light in the workplace, but sooner or later, their darkness shows in some way. And on and on and on. You know, one of the things that's been so, um, among many things, so disturbing about the Me Too movement, this hashtag Me Too, is that I mean, it's a terrible period, but often it would be someone who just seems so wonderful. And it just seems so incapable of doing that thing. And then you find out that they've done this and they've done it repeated times and it's dark. And here's the thing. Again, Old Testament and New Testament crystal clear, slam dunk. We show up with darkness and it shows itself in all kinds of ways. But there was one. And there is one in whom there is no darkness. There is one of whom we can say he, not just he taught light or his message is light, that he himself in his person is light. It's the Messiah. It's the Son of God that we're meditating on, or really that we gather around every Sunday. So I want to think about this, this metaphor of light and think about a couple of things. First off, how is Jesus the light? I mean, we've already stated, all right, He's the light. That metaphor is pretty clear. It's all through the Gospel of John, other places. But how is He the light? And then what's the effect of the light? What does the light do? as the light shines. So let's think about that. First off, how is Jesus the light? And when I was thinking about this, it kind of took me back to 12th grade physics, Mr. Lassiter, who could almost be a sermon by himself. But I remember that one day he took one of these long uh, erasers from the chalkboard. This was back in olden times where we had chalkboards in classes, um, young men and women. So he takes one of these long long erasers, and it's just covered with chalk dust, and he sprinkled it in the air, so he just kind of diffused the air with this, this chalk dust, and then he took this uh, little red kind of handheld laser, and he, and he showed it, and you see the, the beam through the, through the dusty air. Now, when you look at that scene right there, or maybe just picture, you know, flashlight in a dark, dusty room, what part of that do we call light? And it's actually both parts. Like, we call the source the flashlight, the laser, the candle, the lamp. We call that light. But then we call what's coming out. You know, what, what emanates from the light is light. And that actually works in this metaphor. That the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is He's simultaneously source of light and light that goes out. And what do we mean by that? Okay, he, first off, He's the source And here's what we're saying. He is God who is light. Speaking of God as light did not start in the New Testament. You have Psalms that start out by saying, He is my light. God, Yahweh, is my light and my salvation. And there's, you know, and wow, John drops that bombshell as soon as you start his gospel. That there is one who was the Word... And the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. And then he switches the metaphor. The Word is the light, and he's the light. And not to put too fine a point on it, because I'm not a Greek scholar, and I know there's at least one in the room right now. But when John talks about one being the light, not a light, the light, he's talking about God. And when he uses the adjective, the true light, it almost ups the ante. He is the true light. And later in John, here's what you're going to hear the light say. He's going to stand up at a Jewish feast, and it's a feast that has all kinds of light imagery in it. And he's going to say, of all things, I am the light of the world. Not my message is the light of the world, or my dogma is the light of the world. I, in my person, as Jesus of Nazareth, I am the light of the world. No devout Jew would have said that unless he believed himself to be God. That, that was the thing. That's one of the reasons this, this, uh, this ear mic is about to take whatever sanctification I've built up over the years. And that should tell you something. If that can burn through my sanctification that quickly, that, you know, that's telling. But pressing on. The thing that happened at the Mount of Transfiguration, this is one of the famous accounts from the gospel, is when, you know, three of the twelve apostles, Peter, James, and John, it's the same John that writes this gospel, they go up on a mountain with Jesus. And Jesus, and this is a verb that we don't, I mean, there's almost no other place you would use this verb except this account. Jesus was transfigured. So he, he retained his human form, but he began to emit light as his own light source. He began to cast shadows from himself and show himself to be what he always is, except it was veiled all the time, except for just these moments. To show himself to be the true light. You know, Peter was there in one of his letters in the New Testament. He says, on that mountain, we were with him on the mountain, we saw the majestic glory. He is saying, we saw God when we saw the Son. So he's the source of the light. But he's also the light that goes out. And this is the amazing thing. You know, God is not just this force, impersonal force, shining at the earth, but, but God in very uh, vivid ways would manifest himself as light through, I'm going to use the word media, and I'm using it like an artist would talk about media. You know, one artist might work in the medium of clay, and one might use the medium of watercolor, and one might use the uh, medium of steel. Those are media. You look in the Hebrew Bible and sometimes God will manifest himself light through the medium of a cloud. Uh, a cloud comes and takes over the holy of holies of the temple, and you know that God is there, and it shines, and people can't stay in it, and you know that God is there in a particular way. So the medium of a cloud. Sometimes it's fire. I mean, a famous one would be Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was just a, you know... Eastern mountain. And God comes down on it and he manifests himself through fire and it looks like an earthquake, I mean, like a volcano. And there is an earthquake and it terrifies the Israelites as he manifests himself as fire. 
There was the pillar of cloud during the day for the Israelites, pillar of fire at night for the Israelites. So he, he uses those, those media. But the medium that you never find him using to shine light in the Old Testament is the human body. And John is saying this. Look, there have been amazing men that God has sent. And they had roles in God's history with God's people, the history of redemption. Adam, and Noah, and Abraham, and Moses, and David. They were important men. We're indebted to them in ways for ways they served us. But they all had darkness. And the Bible even lets you see it, that all those men had darkness in their lives. All those men needed light. But one comes, and he's simultaneously God who is light, and he is one who comes out from God as light, traveling out, and it's Jesus. Not just as a spirit, but in his humanity, fully God and fully man. So when he shows up as light, what, uh, what does he do? What does the light do? Well, it says in verse 9, uh, verse nine that the true light enlightens everyone. This, this true light that enlightens everyone that's coming into the world. By the way, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. That's an amazing statement because all through the New Testament, but especially in the Gospel of John, when it's talking about the world, that's not like a great group of people who are endearing. The world is a global system of rebellion against God and independence from God. The world is a global community that's done everything to make God not love it. And the light shines into the world and enlightens everyone. And in some ways, that's the problem because it enlightens everyone. Uh, I, I was telling the 830 service, I think if you had a graph of my life, Brian Habig's life, of w- what are times where you were hated by the largest amount of people, one big spike would have been in high school when my car's headlights were stuck on a high beam. <laughs> had a 77 Chevy Caprice, and uh, it just stuck on a high beam, and I didn't have the money to fix it. And you know how it is when you're 17, you're like, nah, you know. It'll be fine. And so, you know, of course, people are just, just flicking their lights at me and angry. And I understand because I get mad about it. And you know how it is when you're going down a dark road. Maybe it's out in some kind of you know, rural area, no street lights. And I don't think the people who are doing this to us are probably malicious. They probably just forgot. But they're, they're just thinking, I am lighting up my path. But it's not like it just sends a shaft down their driving lane. It goes out indiscriminately and it lights everything. And everyone. And, and John... And John... Actually says that... That has a twofold effect. One effect is it, it exposes and potentially repels. And look at what it says later. This is in the italic passage under our main passage. And this is just a few verses after a very famous verse. After John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. God so loved the world, not the good people, the world. 
But then it says this in verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. Now, when I read a phrase like, everyone who does wicked things hates the light, I bet some of you kind of got a mental picture of, yep, there's some bad people out there and they don't go to church. (laughs) Believe me that in this room there is aversion to the light and to being exposed. What might that look like? Picture this. Picture... I think there'd be a range of responses if I were to ask you the question, are you a gracious person? Like, are you a person that can forgive? And maybe not everybody, but, but I think many of us would say, yeah, I think I'm a forgiving person. I've known some really hateful people, and I think, that, I think I'm a forgiving person. And it's easy to live with that until you look at something like the person and, and the life of Jesus which would include things like when he stretched out on a Roman cross for execution and the Roman soldiers are just about to put the spike through this nerve highway of his arm, that he's praying for them, that they be okay. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now, when you see that, and then your life looks different to you, and you think, now speak for myself, I hold grudges. I keep score. I remember offenses. That is a light going into us. And sometimes it repels. Because it's not fun to see those things. But sometimes it draws and it causes growth. And look at the language that's used. Let me pick back up where we left off. We left off with, lest his work should be exposed. But look at chapter 3, verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And then look down at the final passage from chapter 12. Jesus is speaking to a group. He says, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And this is an amazing image It's an amazing truth that Jesus is saying not only, hey, don't traffic in darkness, which is what you'll do naturally, but come to me, come to the light. If you come to the light and you walk in the light, he doesn't just say uh, your bad stuff will be exposed and we'll work on it. He says where it can end up is that you become sons of light. Think about this. And this may be a familiar passage to some of you. But as I, just as I parked in this, it jumped out maybe more than it ever has for me. 
that Jesus says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. But you know what he said even earlier in his ministry? He said this in the Sermon on the Mount to early believers. There's all this stuff they don't know. Like you would kill them on a theology test. And they get stuff wrong and they make mistakes and they misunderstand Jesus. He says to them, you are the light of the world. Not just come to me and I'll shine into your heart. But come to me and I'll make you light. Let me come in for a landing on this. Um, I said last week that, you know, it seems like everything goes back to Genesis. Let me go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, in the creation account, it says that God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. So God makes these two big lights and he makes the stars. The greater light to rule the day is, of course, the sun. But what's the lesser light to rule the night? It's the moon. So here's the question. Is the moon a light? Now, it's kind of the old sort of Sunday school, you know, Mississippi and me wants to go, well, if God says it's a light, then it's a light. But let's think about it. How is the moon a light? It has no actual light of itself. It's a big rock. But when it is in right relationship to the sun, it can actually cast a shadow. Like, I love moon shadows. I love going out in my backyard in a full moon and seeing a moon shadow. I love when you can see more of the yard at night because of the moon, which has no light of its own. And here's the amazing thing. Like, we show up, we have no light of our own. What comes naturally to us is darkness. And it may look like big, splashy wickedness, and it may just kind of be good old southern morality, and I'm so moral I don't even need a savior. Darkness. When you turn to one who is light, he shines into us. And when he shines into us, he exposes us. But here's the beautiful thing. When Jesus exposes our insides, it's not to embarrass us and go, aha, uh-huh, no one knew that till now. To shame us, to embarrass us, but it's what? To say, okay, now the fact that you need a Savior is not an abstraction. But everything that I'm exposing, all this darkness is why I came. At the 8.30 service, Jonathan said the most beautiful thing at the table. He became darkness. He took darkness on himself that we might become sons and daughters of light, that we might be the light of the world. And some of you here, I suspect, are still holding him at arm's length. You know, like, okay, y'all go to a Christmas Eve service, and I'll do, you know, maybe I'm throwing somebody a bone. But you're not really coming to him, coming to the light. And I, I want to exhort you, why don't you come to him? Because here's the thing. The thing, that's keep, the thing you know that's going to have to change is not making you happy. 
It may be kind of fun and kind of tantalizing in the moment, but you know it is not fulfilling you. You know it. And you know it brings shame. And he says, come to me. I'm not setting you up to shame you. I'm setting you up to heal you and to cleanse you and then to make you a son of light. Like, what, what if... What if God took the thing that you're most embarrassed about or the thing that, where you're saying, I don't want any Jesus or God coming into my life and messing with that or taking that away or altering it? What if God took that thing and so transformed you that you were able to speak into other people's lives and that thing, that thing that was darkness, he turned it into light? Because you knew that darkness, but now you've been changed by his light, not your own that now you can speak into that life. And now you're like a moon. It's not your light. But you do shine into men and women's lives. But to you who do believe in Christ, you, you would profess to believe in Jesus Christ, you can't live off old light. You keep needing light. You know, healthy, healthy plants, healthy, healthy trees, they can get unhealthy really quickly without good light. You need God's people in your life. You don't need to live an isolationist Christian life like me and God. Well, that sounds good until you think about the fact that God said, don't do that. Because I didn't just save individuals and cleanse individuals, I... I will be your God and you will be my people. And you need each other. And you need my word. And you need to talk to me. And open your heart and speak from your real insides and commune with me. It's hard on our flesh. It's so much easier to crank and work and be productive than to commune with Jesus in secret and be known for who we actually are. And he says, when you do that, light shines. And you become a son and daughter of light. And I'll tell you, your family needs light. Your non-Christian friend needs light. Not your light. Jesus is light. But you're you're the moon. Your enemies need light. Greenville needs light. The cute, attractive parts that we photograph and put on all the websites and the not-cute parts need light. You are the light of the world. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, the light is not our own. You are the light. Light from light eternal. We praise you. You who are the radiance of God's glory simply in who you are. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you that you didn't leave us in darkness. Don't let us run away from you. Don't let us hide. But bring us into your light. That we might be sons and daughters of light. Thank you for coming to our world. We pray in your name. Amen.